Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to share a message from our supporter on the podcast, Charles Sturt University. We talk a lot about climate and environmental science on this podcast and some of the amazing work women are doing in these fields. If you're looking to learn more about this and potentially thinking about pivoting your career in this direction to help in solving complex environmental challenges, then check out the Graduate Certificate Environmental Management at Charles Sturt University. It is a short course giving you specialist knowledge about conservation, natural resources or water resources. Start now and you could be upskilled in less than six months, gaining a certificate that will provide credit towards a master's. Check out more at their website, study.csu.edu.au forward slash graduate dash certificate. Now to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the co-founder on Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda, and I'm with my fellow co-founder. Hello, Tyler Lambert. How are you? Hey, Ange. I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. On the agenda today, we'll be talking about the bot exposing gender pay gaps, a failure of leadership across the floods crisis, and by the International Women's Day theme, Break the Bias is Bullshit. Thank you for listening. Hi, Tyler. Recording this a few days after International Women's Day, how was it for you? Um, It was a little bit quiet for me this year. It's the first year I haven't lived in Sydney and usually we get kind of pulled into lots of different events and up where I'm living, I'm up on the Northern Rivers and obviously there's a lot going on here but not a huge amount around International Women's Day, which didn't really upset me too much, I have to say. It's not my favourite day and... I did like your reference just then to how the theme for this year, 2022, Break the Bias, is a little bit bullshit. I just think that they come up with these themes every year and they're all kind of the same. And look, I mean, it's nice to have a day of celebration, I guess, but it is hard to feel very uplifted when you look around the world and the state of where we're at and how far away from gender equality we truly are. And it's always a little bit of a hard one to swallow. What are your thoughts on it? Well, this is one of our topics. So if I share my thoughts now, I feel like we will end up 15 minutes into this episode. And I don't think that's the way that we like it to flow because we like to do wins and starting on a nice positive. So what is your win this week? My win this week And look, it's actually a little bit of an emotional win. As I said, I live up in the Northern Rivers and there has been a whole horde of communities that have been so horribly impacted by the recent floods. And my town, there are parts of it that have been really badly impacted, but it's nothing compared to to when you look at Lismore or Mullumbimby or Moolumbah. But what has really made me so proud to be Australian, and I I haven't necessarily felt that a huge amount in the last couple of years because I feel like lots of us have been really divided, states have been divided through COVID, but just watching the communities here mobilise and particularly so many women on the front line of this crisis, just pulling so hard to support those in need and, and there are so many people that are just in really dire straits. Of course, they shouldn't have to be doing that. The government should have really pulled their weight here. Um, And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode. But it has just really moved me to see 
the heart that lies in this community and, and also, you know, in Sydney with the floods that are happening there too and across Queensland. So I guess that's my win in a sense and it's a bit of a heartbreaking win but it is a win nonetheless. Yeah, and on that note, Madeline has just published an excellent piece interviewing Sally Flannery who is based in Lismore And Sally basically shares the story about what happened when the caravan she was living in, which was her workplace and it was the shop front that she was about to open, it all went under. So she lost her home and she lost her work basically all at once. She talks about how fast the water levels rose and how she waited hours to be evacuated to the point that her phone ran out of battery. But before it did run out of battery, she did a quick post on the Lismore Small Business Facebook page that she runs, sharing her own experience of not being able to contact the SES and then asking if anyone else needed help. The phone died and she was eventually rescued. She plugged her phone in, she had a shower, and she saw that there were a thousand comments on the post that she made with people needing help. This is just an incredible story. It's just things that I feel like we didn't hear kind of in those days as it was happening, obviously, because so much communication was cut off. And so basically, Sally just went in and started helping all these women. And they set up kind of a mini team, a coordinated response to make sure that the SES could get involved to make sure that they could get these rescues and that they could pinpoint the people who needed the help. And it's just amazing. I just took to the front line and we've got some photos of those volunteers sitting there at these makeshift desks, just working social media, working through various programs to make sure that people got rescued. It's a great story. Please go and read it because it will give you some hope and it will, will make you feel good. And it is a reminder of just how quickly women mobilize and just spring into action when, when it absolutely has to happen like this. Yeah, absolutely. And just quickly as well, like I think the sheer volume of people that have really turned up and done various things, committed to fundraisers or started GoFundMe pages or, you know, you just see like even older women cutting up sandwiches day after day after day and and making sure that people have vital supplies. Um, There are still whole communities and towns up this way that are cut off. And it's a story that's not really being told in mass media. And some of the stories that you hear from locals are really just so, so devastating. I know there's a big flood appeal going on right now with all the major commercial TV stations. And I would just really encourage anyone that can give to that to do so because, yeah, look, it's a situation that is not going to get better anytime quickly and it's often the people that are hardest hit in these situations are often the people that can't afford to recover quickly either. They don't have flood insurance and so we all need to do what we can here, especially in light of the fact that we know that government is just completely dropping the ball that wouldn't happen would it it's not (laughs) like there's a track record of the government dropping the ball in times of crisis is there you'd probably learn a lesson from the past if that had happened before but anyway we will get to it I need to share a win okay go because I could go on for days on this one. So, yes, we'll go back but to we're it. We're going back to floods, but it's important that we have these little wins. So my win, it comes back to International Women's Day. So it is this bot that was created on Twitter and it is UK-based. So unfortunately it's not sharing Australian data, but, you know, it may only be a matter of time before it gets there or somebody does an Australian version of it, someone who is as clever as this 
Spots creator Francesca Lawson, who is a copywriter, and she did it with her partner, Ali Fensum, who is a software consultant. So basically, this bot likes to expose the gender pay gaps of different companies when those companies are using their social media to push their female employees and gender equality. So it basically responds to the obvious hashtags of breaking the bias and IWD 2022. And so you see these different employers spruiking up their stuff and all the women in the organization doing the little hand movements and, oh, look at us, we are such a wonderful employer for women. And then the bot basically retweets it and says, in this organization, women's median hourly pay is 44.1% lower than men's. I just like 44.1% there's the pay gap in one of these organizations that is pushing their greatness for women on International Women's Day and they have a 44.1% gender pay gap. It's so good. It really just shines a light on how completely bullshit. There is no other word, I'm sorry, but like it is just these companies stand up every year and and try to do this cupcake feminism. I don't even know what it is anymore. Some of the posts that I saw yesterday were just ridiculous as well. And then, you know, behind the scenes, we know that women are kind of so badly on the back foot within these these organisations and they're not doing anything that's actually meaningful or valuable in terms of changing their policies to better support women and families, which would actually make all the difference. Yeah, exactly. And because you see all the things that these employers are doing and they're putting up all the purple branding and they're talking about writing motivational messages for women like, you know, you can do it, we can break the bias. It's like the first and easiest and most obvious place that you could possibly start, it, it doesn't really require much, is by addressing your pay gap. And particularly for these companies in the UK where they have reported on it because there's quite different reporting requirements in the UK than there are in Australia, which is how this spot basically is able to get this information and have it tweeted out so quickly. But it's just like, it just shows the hypocrisy. Like that is the easiest thing you can do is fix your pay gap, like spend the money on the pay gap. It's just, that's where you can start and you can there's so many other things to do as well, but that would be a really handy place. I don't know. Paying for 400 cupcakes is probably a bit cheaper. Look, everyone talks about the cupcakes. I have never eaten a cupcake on International Women's Day. Like I must you have missed that. I'd be so happy to eat a cupcake on International <laughs> Women's Day. Like I will Next year I might intentionally go to the bakery down the street from me and just make a point of eating a cupcake that I just purchased myself just for the, the hell of just eating a cupcake <laughs> at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I'll buy you a cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're not done with International Women's Day. So I want to talk about break the bias. Mm. So I was moderating a panel session yesterday with the George Institute, which was a great session where we looked at bias in medical research. And in the lead up to the event, one of the organisers got in contact with me and just said, hey, just so you know, we don't want to use the hashtag break the bias. I was like, yeah, cool. I hate the hashtag as well. That's fine. Um, I, I don't really, and I actually spoke about this last week, Shivani, uh, when she was on the podcast. And I just spoke about how I just find that these hashtags don't seem to mean anything. They're just kind of these clever little marketing spin things that come out and people try to kind of talk around it and then people use that and apparently by using the hashtag you're kind of signaling that you're doing something or you're interested in the issue. Shivani actually spoke really well about the other side of this saying that actually the hashtag gives a a bit of meaning to people if they're taking into a speech or if meaning to people who may not have ever considered uh, some of the issues that need to be considered on International Women's Day and this gives them a framework to start with. 
And she explained that really well. But one of the reason why this organiser had chosen to boycott it was because they saw the International Women's Day platform, and I say platform because there is a platform that is a website, internationalwomensday.com, which isn't the UN Women website and doesn't really have anything to do with the UN Women website. And this platform basically determines what the kind of corporate theme is going to be. So this year it's Break the Bias. You might remember like Each for Equal, there was Press for Progress. There was, you know, and apparently there's a whole advisory committee that puts it together and that's what came up this year. (laughs) Anyway, the organisers' issue was that when they looked at the companies associated with this platform, they saw like there's an arms dealer on there, like a company that actually creates missiles there's an alcohol company that this is obviously a health business so they had a few problems with that so they just looked at the list of supporters on this and they were just like we're not cool with that and it got me looking at this platform as well which we've always just kind of taken for oh that's the the theme and it is the theme because somebody very clever has purchased that domain name and has very good seo skills and it always goes to any kind of search that you do international women's day that is what will appear first UN women has a completely different theme UN Women's theme is changing climates, equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. It clearly has a climate change. They brought that into their event on Friday. It was great. They brought that in amongst the speakers. It meant that Senator Maurice Payne at least had to mention climate change in her speech, even if she didn't say anything particularly meaningful about climate change. Yeah. (laughs) But because there is this side little game of the corporate one, it means that that whole climate change element gets missed because it gives those corporates, um, not necessarily an excuse because they might actually care about climate change, but if they're inviting other people up who don't want to get into the game of climate change and the issues there and the fact that climate change will derail every like speck of progress made on gender equality, it's kind of impossible not to think about or talk about, but it means they don't have to discuss that. And as we've talked about and as I've written about like every year, climate change is just completely missing from the International Women's Day agenda. Until this year, you and women did it. They had an event last week that really spoke to it. Obviously, this is a theme. The corporate platform, internationalwomensday.com, who knows who runs it? You can actually find the name of who runs it if you dig into the privacy page, which I did. You can see it there. There's been a couple of pieces on it. There was a piece a couple of years ago in the Sydney Morning Herald on it that looked at it, and I thought that at least offers some transparency. You'd think that maybe people might think twice before kind of going all out on these IWD themes. But the website doesn't seem to mention climate change at all. It has a number of its own agendas, which really fit nicely with the corporate thing and like, you know, very clean and not too controversial. Yeah, I I just find that it's completely overshadowing the UN women one. And I think it's a distraction. And, you know, we talked about the floods when we haven't experienced anything like what you guys have experienced up north. But I, at lunchtime on International Women's Day, and this is how I opened my piece today, I was literally wading through water (laughs) because we had the flash flooding in the area where I live in Sydney. And it was a surreal moment of thinking, I've never seen anything like this. And I've only been in the area a few years, but even talking to other people who have been there all their lives. They say, we've never seen this. This is an intensity. You saw the, like, Scott Morrison turned up in Lismore yesterday and there were the protesters there around the fact that it is a climate crisis that we're talking about. Yeah. And clearly this is, you know, Australia is is actually going to be really badly hit by climate crises all over the place. You know, we've seen the bushfires, we've seen drought, we've seen floods. We are a country that's prone to that anyway. 
so we know that it's only going to get worse and worse. And when we are not actually looking at that issue and trying to emphasize it and trying to push for change there, and especially that intersection of feminism and how women are going to be impacted by climate, it's such a critical issue. It's one that we feel so passionately about. We try to cover extensively across women's agenda at all times. But Maybe it's not the sexiest topic and it's such a frustrating situation because I don't think the people quite grasp the gravity of it. And then when we're celebrating a hashtag of break the bias, which in my mind really doesn't mean anything, you know, like let's break it down. I I can't, (laughs) yeah, like there is bias that exists against women. How do we break the bias? What does that actually mean? You know, like, and that's what we're focusing on. That's what every PR company is contacting us about. Um, and using that as their hook when really there's this critical kind of issue that we're trying to bring to the forefront um, that isn't being mentioned. I think it's it's a real problem. Yeah, so I've described these hashtags as uh, tools of mass destruction because they just are distracting us from everything else that kind of needs a little bit of thought at the moment. There's many issues there, and I know that I'm sticking on the climate one at the moment, um, and I think that just felt very immediate, obviously, on Tuesday because, like, sitting there and considering this and thinking at the same time we're doing these discussions and I was actually meant to be at a lunch that day that I had cancelled just because of the weather warnings and, like, I was like, and what would we – I've sat there and just listened to this this theme and people talk to this and I'm sure there would have been brilliant speakers but, like, it, it just feels like those hashtags, they kind of become, especially for uh, a lot of – employers big employers that clearly have some issues in their organizations but they can become words that they can hide behind a hashtag that just highlights kind of what you hope will be achieved without actually articulating how it will happen but then I kind of suggested it might even be worse it could be a weapon that's intentionally designed to distract I don't know like maybe it is it seems like as soon as you put break the bias there if you get any kind of political leader up there or a business leader or somebody who should possibly be commenting on climate change but can't because their own record is absolutely atrocious they immediately have something to hide behind they can talk about something completely different even though the UN women theme clearly states climate maybe next year we can all rethink how we look at these hashtags and maybe either stick with the UN one or come up with something yourself it may not be as sexy or roll off the tongue as well. I don't know. Break the bias isn't particularly sexy. So, (laughs) which brings us to the failure of leadership. We're still on the floods. So you mentioned there that Prime Minister Scott Morrison did venture into into Lismore yesterday. I believe he's visiting other communities as we record today. Interestingly, the day before, I couldn't see his address for International Women's Day. I know that he was he has been sick with COVID, but he has had time to go and make the $9 billion submarine space announcement, obviously virtually. I mean, it could be that given 2019's effort when he suggested that the rise of women should not come at the expense of men, he might find that it's better to stick to the war stuff. He's looking a little bit wary of getting up and talking about his good intentions around uh, gender equality because or that he's been he'll listening. Get torn apart. Yeah, he, he's been listening or learning, but unfortunately, we know that that's not the case. Look, I I get it as well. Like I I get that he was sick with COVID. I had COVID. It's bloody unpleasant. Let's face it. But at the same time, 
you're the Prime Minister and there's a really big crisis that's at your doorstep. I did not, like for days I've not really seen him. And then he rocked up at Lismore yesterday and I think his performance during that press conference was an absolute embarrassing zero accountability. You know, it was like he was getting pissed off at people for actually questioning where they've been and why they haven't been getting any support. And he's talking to whole communities that have actually been ripped apart and lost every single thing. And he's standing there belligerently trying to answer this like, you know, I just don't even think that every expectation is ever going to be met. Like how God's name is that your response to people that are in really such a desperate situation, you know? And even if you think that it's unreasonable, which I definitely do not think is the case, but even if independently you think that that's an unreasonable reaction that you're getting from a crowd like that, how is your response to just be combative and defensive and angry at them. Like, you know, as Prime Minister, you need to stand there, you need to listen, you need to accept what people are saying to you and you need to try to do better. And this is, I think, such a recurring issue with Scott Morrison is that he cannot, his stubbornness and his unwillingness to shift his thinking or any kind of thought process, it crops up time and time again and he's always going to be defensive rather than proactive. I think he just lacks critical empathy. I really do. And and I think that that was on full display yesterday during that press conference. I, I was, I, honestly, I was watching it and I was infuriated and I cannot, I can't even fathom what the people in Lismore were thinking. The leader finally shows up finally shows up for all of two minutes to have this discussion with them. You know, business owners out there were talking about how usually if state or federal leaders come, they stay and they they talk to everyone in the community and they try to make a real effort. Scott Morrison was in and out within, you know, a couple of hours, I, I think. And then to have that response during the press conference and to come with nothing really that, that was going to be meaningful, just to say your expectations are too high and... I can't do anything. Like It's pathetic. It really is. And, yeah, you've had COVID, but, you know. So it's half Australia and that's it. And I, I actually think that, you know, COVID or not, I, I think that, that there could have been scope for him to be doing some kind of regular, be it 10-minute virtual address during this crisis. Well, he managed to show up and do a virtual address when Shane Warne died, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have done that, but I'm just saying these are his priorities. You know, he can show up for one sporting star's death and give a tribute for that. But where was he when these these whole communities, thousands of people struggling, a whole community like Lismore is on the precipice of, of no return and he is nowhere to be found. And at least Perite, look, Perite has said <laughs> the response was shit. Like the response from New South Wales has been shit. And I will give him credit for at least acknowledging that and and saying that he'll do a review into why it was shit. But like, I mean, that still begs the question as to to why we, we kind of have leaders and government that can't actually show up at times like this. Clearly, we've been through enough of these kind of crises. We've been through enough of it. And it's certainly up that 
uh, uh, certainly up this way. There's there's been it's you know every few years now. So why don't we have a proper action plan in place? Yeah, well we don't. I mean that's yeah. So he could have showed up for address. He did Shane Warne. He did the submarines announcement. Um, maybe he did some other things. I'll go back and check the record there. But I'm pretty sure he didn't do kind of like a consistent emergency response. You know this is going on for day after day after day. This is the situation now. Next day, even morning, afternoon. I think you could potentially make that happen. If you can't, you can send in your deputy. I mean, I know it is Barnaby Joyce in this case, but there are other things that you can do. You have representatives. You're not an island when you are the prime minister. You have representatives you can send in to go and do your work when you're at home isolating with COVID and to make those decisions and to speak on your behalf and to speak on the behalf of the government. But that wasn't to be. And I think the empathy point is uh, clearly what's missing. And it's just I find it disturbing that he couldn't even uh, pretend to have the empathy. I guess that's surely you'd take the lesson and think, I'm going to double down on this and try extra hard this time because I know that there's an election coming up and I know that people are still talking about my really terrible bushfire response as well as other responses during the pandemic and a lack of communication that has occurred. I think like maybe I'll just, this is a bit of an, a chance that maybe I can go back and make up for some of the worst mistakes of my leadership during this period, but it, it, wasn't to be and I might point out some other fails on empathy during this crisis um I I think yeah I agree I think Perite is doing okay I think he could do better I think that there could be more communication and more regular communication and um more predictable communication Barnaby Joyce on 7.30 last night who made this weird mess of a non-apology basically telling Lee Sowles when asked if a national emergency should have been declared sooner his comment was I've got it here it's if people say well it should have happened last week well if we made a mistake we made that mistake and we're sorry for it it's that kind of like we're not going to actually say sorry we're going to yeah we have a clarification on it yeah shit happens and like that yeah. is their attitude with everything or even Stuart Aries who's came out last week he's the minister for Western Sydney but he said you know, there's there's been calls about from residents around like what they could do, um, whether or not some of these communities actually need to be moved from floodplains, given how, you know, how persistent of an issue this is. And he told a budget estimates hearing it was a farcical proposition. Again, it's almost like mocking the people that are in these positions. And he said, you know, people know what they're they're in for that when they buy those properties. A, lots of those people bought those properties years and years and years ago, right? So when we weren't actually at the crisis point we're at with with climate-related disasters. Secondly, one of their only other solutions was to maybe take down the stamp duty on houses so or eliminate stamp duty on houses for people that are looking to purchase there. It's like that also doesn't help anyone that is already living there, which is the problem in itself. So I just feel like the response is so lacklustre and every time it's handballing to someone else and no one actually knows what to say. Certainly no one knows what to do. And yet we have these billions. I mean, I was looking at the National Recovery and Resilience Agency, the Coordinator General, Shane Stone, just want to make sure he wasn't the person who said the comments you're referring to. No. He had his own victim-blaming comments um, he told the Sydney Morning Herald that you've got people who want to live among the gum trees. What do you think is going to happen? Their house falls in the river and they say it's the government's fault. Mm. It's just like he is 
he's the coordinator general of the National Recovery and Resilience Agency. Like, how the hell do you get to that position if you make that comment? What, like, what is going wrong in leadership circles that people can still think it's okay to make that comment when their job is literally to deal with recovery and resilience and and coordinate the the billions of dollars that that agency has? Well, like, not even taking into account the fact that housing affordability has a big part to play in this as well no one can afford a proper home really like or or very few people in this country can afford a family home I've heard of situations up here where people have bought in flood affected areas because they're just so desperate to get on the property ladder and provide a home for their family a friend of ours actually lost their entire home they've just done a renovation because of this crisis and, I mean, what what were they supposed to do? The property ladder is just, like, sweeping out from everyone's feet. Like, this is another part of the equation that's not being talked about. There are so many different facets at play here. And then you have these politicians that are living their cushy lives in Canberra or Sydney or wherever and just not having any idea what is actually going on for the rest of the country. Mm. I imagine also that it could be, where you, you actually get, and I saw this is happening in Kiama and south of the Sydney, would definitely be happening in Byron Bay, where people who might be renting there are also getting pushed out of the area due to the um, massive property prices and the city leavers who've left there to, during COVID. I, I don't know, I haven't seen any evidence of that, but that could be contributing to where people finding additional choices to live, not to mention people may have lived in these areas for years, decades, and so we, we don't kind of, I don't think that's the solution to just tell people that they need to go and find a place that won't be impacted by climate change or intense weather events and more frequent weather events in the future because maybe we could actually start to even think about the fact that these intense, more intense, more frequent weather events are occurring and take the action now to hopefully pull back on the worst of it because we're not past the tipping point, but we are going to be past the tipping point. And yet we seem to still be here dilly-dallying around the edges, still not able to have a real conversation about climate change, um, still not bringing into every single day and everything that we do when we're literally seeing how devastating it is constantly. You know, we're, we're seeing that like within a few years, I think about my kids and what my kids have witnessed in the last couple of years. And it's just, I have to explain it to them that, you know, I didn't, see these sorts of things when I was growing up. We, we just didn't have this level of intensity and frequency in terms of particularly the weather events that you're experiencing. Anyway, that's, I feel that we've covered a lot. This has been a fun rant We episode. really ranted <laughs> that one, didn't we? All right, we should move on. It is sunny outside here in Sydney at the moment. I would like to go and experience a good five minutes of that. Thank you, Tyler. I hope that you can get some sunshine and Uh, get a little bit of a break from the last couple of hectic weeks and thank you for listening thank you stay safe thank you for listening to the women's agenda podcast a reminder that you can access all the stories that we discussed on this episode and much more at our website womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletter and get this information fresh in your inbox just before lunch